Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. It's time to get outside. This is KSL Outdoors, brought to you by Trax Power Sports. Two hours of stories and information on hunting, fishing, and high adventure. Our host is Tim Hughes on KSL News Radio. Welcome into hour number two and the final one for another week here on KSL Outdoors Radio. We just uh, got done talking about how this winter is going to be affecting your fishing and uh, how you can still plan on getting out there and having some success with it. We're about to talk how this winter may be uh, affecting your hunt season coming up, so we'll look forward to that conversation in a minute. Tim Hughes in the studios here at uh, KSL News Radio, downtown Salt Lake City. Russ Smith also here from Sky Call. Yeah, good morning. Good morning. Busy, uh, well, maybe now that the sun's out, you'll be a little busy with phones. I think uh, we're going to have a lot of river runners Trying to get in before the floods. Can you imagine what uh, river running is going to be like with this precipitation statewide? Rivers that were low are now going to be wild. That big drop is going to be big down there on the Colorado River. And uh, Navidowski is also still with us, uh, getting his trading out his ski boots for his uh, bike shorts, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Do they both go on my feet? I don't know how that works. (laughs) You, You are actually looking forward to getting on the bike, though, aren't you? Well, I really hate to leave this beautiful snow, but I have I had a schedule. I got to ride. I got to get 600 miles in before I leave for Portugal, which is in a little over two weeks. Yeah, you and uh, Mama are going to go take another. Uh, is it bike and barge? What is it exactly? No, no, it's just a, a tour. We're going to ride across Portugal. I've only been on one bike and barge. All most of my rides are just regular. We ride. And then they move you know, our suitcases to a new hotel when we get there. All right, so you're going to go hotel to hotel. My understanding and looking at uh, the itinerary is it just pretty much follows the coastline there in Portugal. By design. Uh, that's what I was interested in. That's why we scheduled it for April. I love beaches, and Portugal's a place we we're really looking at. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's the part of Portugal and most interested. All right, beautiful. Uh, we'll learn more about that. Maybe you'll check in with us uh, if we can sure. t- twist your arm. Coming up in this half hour, we'll go road tripping uh, with Bob and Mark. I'm unsure because I haven't had a chance to sneak a peek at my email. Bob just texted me that he sent me where they're headed, but we'll uh, follow up on that for you in just a couple of minutes. In the next half hour, Snow Day will center around Snowbird today. There is so much going on out there, and they are just wrapping up what could be the longest interlodge they've ever had at Snowbird, three full days. 
And a couple of those days, people weren't even able to get out on the mountain because of the avalanche danger. But Sarah will walk us through all of that, and we'll look forward to it. And speaking of avalanches, we'll also check in with um, Craig Gordon at the Utah Avalanche Center and find out, you know, what the biggest concerns are out there now that the sun is out. But let's uh, carry on with our conversation here about hunting in Utah. Rusty Robinson joins us, and I love this title, Rusty, if I'm reading it right. Uh, this looks great on a business card. Once in a lifetime coordinator. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it has no reflection on me personally. I think it's just a, a, right. a wordy, a wordy title. Yeah, okay, I, I, love- I, 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 yeah, I oversee the once in a lifetime species, the species you can hunt once in Utah. That's bighorn sheep, mountain goats, bison, and moose. Yeah, but you could tell some really good stories yeah. with that on your business card. I mean, you could lead, take that in any direction you want to go. I can make up all kinds of stuff, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, The reason Faith Jolly thought it might be a good idea to connect with you today is because, and I just mentioned this, that we were talking about how this winter and the water, you know, that's sure to come in the runoff is going to affect our fishing. It's also having an effect on your hunting just in terms of all of the snow that's been on the ground. And it's been a tough season, particularly for uh, the young uh, bucks and does out there, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been it's been just a totally unprecedented winter, as I'm sure everybody knows. Um, it's not over yet, which is unbelievable, given that it's April sixth. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely taken its toll on uh, mule deer, especially. Um, a lot of the other species are, are doing okay. You know, some of the you know elk and moose and bison, they're all pretty equipped to handle hard winters. Uh, mule deer are the ones that are they're pretty vulnerable during this time of year. Um, but what what we're finding is it's it's not everywhere. Uh, it's not uniform across the state. There's certain pockets um, where deer maybe have a higher elevation winter range where it's just completely packed with snow and they they're not able to access food. Um, that's where we're we're seeing some winter losses. And um, some of those areas are like the Wasatch back around Heber Valley, Morgan. Um, even even the cache is not as bad as we thought it was going to turn out to be. Um, and so we're kind of optimistic in that regard. Um, but the really bright spot is, is southern Utah, where we're actually seeing record um, high survival rates on, on adults and fawns. So, yeah, yeah, when you think, so that's, your, yeah. that's your bright spot. When you think about it, uh, many of those southern units, I would imagine, have had drought problems and no water for these animals in many cases. And this year, they don't have to look too hard to find it, I'm guessing. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's what we're finding with mule deer is is drought is is a much bigger problem than even hard winters. So even when we have a really bad winter like this with a lot of snow, if they come into winter um, fat and healthy, meaning they they had really good you know moisture during the summer and fall, then then they're they can handle the winter because they've got that stored fat. And so we were kind of lucky this fall. We got some good monsoons, and and a lot of the deer came in really fat and healthy. And and it's a good thing because they're they're relying on that heavily to make it through. But in the in the southern region, um, you know, you're right. The last couple of years, we've got some good monsoons, and it's really pulled them out of that drought. And they're going gangbusters down there. Yeah. Now you haven't made changes to the number of permits. You're looking for some input here. Is that right? Yeah. You know, every every um, recommendation cycle when we recommend the permit numbers for the upcoming hunting season. We do a, a rack tour where we go across the state and we meet with our our um, rack meetings, which are regional advisory council collects uh, public input from each region, 
and then um, take it to the, the wildlife board. And so that's where we, you know, seek public input at the meetings. You can also go online and watch our, our presentations and comment online as well. And if I'm looking at the information correctly, you're already below the objective numbers in the state. And so that would lead me to believe that you're at least considering at this point fewer deer permits, but I've heard maybe no uh, reduction and maybe even an increase in the elk permits. Yeah, so um, you're right. Our our current, you know, uh, deer objective is around 404,000 deer across the, you know, statewide we're currently below that, around 335,000 deer. Um, and, you know, after winter like this, we're certainly recommending some decrease in permits in those, some of those areas that are hit harder by the winter, but actually increases on deer in the some of those places like the southern region where, where they're doing great. And so net-net, it's about a 2% decrease in permits that we're recommending. Um, but, yeah, like I said, elk are doing fine. Um, yeah, some of those other species recommending some some increases. One of the things I do when uh, Faith sends me an idea of, of a topic to talk about is I go to your Facebook page and I see what the feedback has been from, no doubt, hunters out there. And it's always polarized one way or the other. It doesn't matter what, what the subject is, it seems. But, but let me just ask you about one of the proposals that seemed to get a lot of traction with people liking it was somebody saying maybe once every five years we should just have no deer or elk permits is that ever a consideration? It's it's really, you know, when we hunt male animals, uh, when we hunt bucks and we hunt bulls, we're, we're hunting the excess males that are on the landscape. And so how we do that doesn't dictate how the deer herds are doing. How the deer herds are doing dictates how we hunt the excess males. And so we're already accounting for, you know, when things aren't, aren't going so hot, we decrease permits. Um, but if we stopped hunting bucks altogether, there would actually be more competition for resources. Yeah. Those deer would be more nutritionally stressed in the winter, and we'd see bigger bigger winter losses. Um, where those, you know, you got big bucks competing with fawns for food, and you'd actually uh, uh, potentially decrease your fawn survival and decrease your productivity of that herd altogether. And so, it's it's really not healthy to to carry that many males on the landscape if we were to shut down the hunts it would it would actually have detrimental effects to the population as a whole i didn't jump into the conversation on facebook but i that my thought was boy if our wildlife managers thought it was that easy to do all of their management of numbers yeah, in the state yeah. you probably love that but it's much more complicated and, and, and i think i get where people are coming from i think if you if you tried that it would look like a success on the surface. There would be a lot of big bucks running around when you did open up hunting again. Yeah. But your your productivity of that population would suffer, and you would you would really reduce the opportunity for people to go out and hunt, which is which is really important. Yeah. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. But if people want information uh, on your rack meetings, I always fear that we'll just confuse them by trying to run through all the dates and places and times. They can get it on the uh, division website, right? Correct. You can go to, uh, you know, wildlife.utah.gov. Um, there's a section on there for, for contact us and public meetings. All those presentations are online. They can they can view them, comment, find out where the meetings are being held, uh, all that good stuff. Well, after talking to you, I can see why they call you a once-in-a-lifetime coordinator. You're darn good at this. <laughs> 
Thanks, Tim. Appreciate it. Rusty, thanks. Maybe it could be twice in a lifetime someday. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Keep working at it. (laughs) Thanks for your time. Rusty Robinson from the Division of Wildlife Resources. Got to take a break. When we come back, we'll do a little road tripping with Bob and Mark, so stay there. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. All right, Russell, I thought we'd change up the song that we uh, used to get into Bob and Mark here just for this one day. Uh, Satchmo. I see trees of green. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sing along. I see them bloom for me and you. This just relaxes me right here. And I think to myself. Sing along if you want, guys. What I want. <laughs> actually, I was pre- good. <laughs> I prefer you on the trumpet rather than sing. Actually, uh, <laughs> time to do a little road tripping with Bob and Mark. The reason, which one of you was that, by the way? I'm, I'm guessing it was Bob. It was Bob. He's, yeah, he's quite talented with it. Because, because actually, Mark has a beautiful singing voice. I understand. Bob should stick to the trumpet. Uh, is what I'm you told. You should hear our. You should hear us together on the road. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, all right. Now, the reason we're talking about this is because you came prepared today, guys, to talk about, and this is something that's out there, I guess, from the World Atlas, some of the most picturesque small towns in Utah. And Russ is already trying to ruin the party. He no, wants, no. He no, wants to bring no. Vernal no, into no, the conversation. No, 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 no. You I said like Vernal was beautiful. I like Vernal a lot. I love people that live in Vernal, but it's not the most picturesque place in Utah, not by a long shot. Well, I know someone who will differ in that opinion. I happen to know the tourism director there. Hopefully, Leisha doesn't hear this. (laughs) (laughs) But we're talking about picturesque. Okay, okay. It's a beautiful desert out there. Um, Bring some sanity to this conversation, Mark. Where do you want to start with a beautiful spot? Well, this wonderful world, right? Well, I... I like it. We have a list here that was – I will just go through it quickly. Garden City's on the list, Torrey, Moab, Emmett, Kanab, yeah. St. George, Springdale, Eden. Those are all great places. Yeah. We'll talk about a few of them. Is, I, is, like, I like Midway, Utah, just west there of Heber there up against – That's, see, right Midway, against that's a great Walker. choice. Midway is beautiful. Yeah. Heber's a great choice. How about Hannah? You Silence. have, you well, have we, a weird taste. Hannah is gorgeous. <laughs> Tell us why. Tell us why. Well, they got a good little store there, and and the Hannah Cafe across the street is awesome. For him, it's all about food and where he can get his next energy. Right along the Duchesne River. It's it's just a beautiful place. Big mountains around it. There you, you go. Have you ever? They didn't been say there? the the most beautiful okay. places with flying jays. Well, the, it, they don't have a flying <laughs> jay in Hannah. They got one little one pump place. Man. Bob, what about you? Know, you? you know the one that I. 
the one I think should be on the list that is Brigham City. I yeah. think Brigham City is one of the beautiful. most beautiful little yeah. towns we have in the state. Just love that place. Wellsville. <laughs> no. This is what getting worse by about? the minute. Wellsville, right, guys? Come on, come on. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, yeah. you're Cash Valley. Yeah. Cash Valley looks pretty Anywhere pretty in Cash good. Valley. <laughs> you, know, an, a, you know a town I didn't see on the list? No. L.A. Don't know why I, yeah, yeah. Know why, don't know why I didn't make the list, but it should be there. Do they list criterium on this, Mark? You know, they they really with where we're headed with all of this, but <laughs> but I, <laughs> you know, when you say the word picture, you you try to say, well, what's the backdrop? Yeah, and what are what are what are the uh, maybe the the accoutrements or the the things yeah. that are around there. Yeah. We I like Midway. I like Midway because of the Swiss influence and right. all the buildings right. have that sign and the, and the mountain in the backdrop with Wasatch Mountain State Park and you got the crater right there. So the crater makes and you can go scuba diving yeah. in the crater. You can, walk, you can walk up to Memorial Hill there. Midway is one of those that fits that picturesque description in mm-hmm. Eden. I think Eden was on your list. You love Eden. Yeah. Well, Eden, I love. Tory is right where it should be. It's uh, number two there. Garden City, I'm not as familiar with, but I would agree with Camus, too. How about Eureka? Mining City, beautiful. All the old buildings still there. You and love then, deserts. We're, no, we're still I talking about, aren't we talking picturesque? Picturesque. Yeah. yeah, this guy wants to be buried on the Pony Express Trail because it's beautiful, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. All right. You know, you know, this is a short yeah. list. There's so many beautiful little – Utah is such a beautiful state Bunch in of its desert entirety. And so, yeah, well, I live in the desert, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I actually love the mountain towns. To me, the mountain towns of Utah – well yeah. – are gorgeous. Yeah. I, I think we have some of the most beautiful little towns in See, the, surrounded by those beautiful mountains. And I guess these are subjective because I'm with you. I kind of go for the mountain uh, backdrop. But as you said, Mark, there are places, and it's one of the reasons why Hollywood comes here to shoot all yeah, the movies. Exactly. There, there are places in southern Utah that you just can't replicate somewhere else, and it would cost way too much money for them to create a set. So you might as well use what Mother Nature threw right in your backyard. I got another one. Yeah. Go ahead. I love Blanding. Blanding, Blanding yeah. sits in a it sits in a great spot. Yeah, it's got a great location. Mountains a in the backdrop. Anyway, yeah, not far, keep moving. Not You're going to dislike the... everything I bring up. So, <laughs> you better watch your step when you go out the front door here. Tim. Every time you brought one up, there was crickets from the rest yeah. of us. We didn't well, know what quite because to most say. of you haven't been to any of these. Yeah. All right, guys, we're out of time. But where do you want to put a little bow on this story, Mark? I'll start with you. Well, I'm just going to throw last on my list, Orderville, Utah, right there amongst the white sandstone cliffs of Highway 89 near Zion National Park. Yeah. Ooh, those little towns you stop by with the fake policemen in the (laughs) trucks and stuff. They're awesome little towns all the way down 89 down there on the south end. Bob? Well, you know, I don't know if this really qualifies so well for um, picturesque, but I think it is, is Bluff. I really like Bluff. Bluff to me is... A wonderful little town that yeah. has great access to Very some of the unique. most beautiful sites yeah. in Utah. See, it only took six minutes of hanging out with Russ to make you go that direction. And you know, the other town is is Disorderville. Is there such a place? Well, it's not named. I'm not going to say the real name. <laughs> but it's got all the junk everywhere and all that stuff. All right. 
that's a great topic of discussion yeah, for the is. day, and maybe we can get our listeners to chime in on our uh, Facebook page. Bob or, and Mark, thanks as always. Get ready for the hate mail. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you'll, find, you'll find these guys, uh, Mark Wade, Bob Grove, at uh, roadtrippingwithbobandmark.com. The colors of the rainbow So pretty in the skies Also on the faces Of people going by He's on the trombone there A gun in the face Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up They pointed their guns at me And this is the point where I thought I'm going to die today Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela They said you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.